Would you remain standing this morning? I want us to start out our message today by reading together the 23rd Psalm. I want us to read it out loud. So I want us to, as a congregation, read this passage that's up on the screen. Let's do that together right now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Y'all be seated. Amen. So let it be, right? So let it be this morning. Love that psalm, the 23rd psalm. We began this teaching series last week in this 23rd psalm, and the, the whole five or six week series will be right here in just those few lines, just those few verses. And last week as we kicked it off, we really never made it past verse 1, did we? I mean, we read the whole thing, but we never got past verse 1 because it's so rich. There's so much to get out of this psalm. Last week as we got into verse 1, what we got out of it was this. We learned what the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep looks like and we found that there is a direct parallel between that and the relationship that God has with mankind, right? We learned that the, the shepherd-to-sheep relationship is very similar to the God-to-man relationship. We also learned that the quality of any sheep's life is directly related or equated with the quality of of the shepherd who owns and oversees that sheep. The quality of that sheep's life is totally dependent on the sheep's shepherd. We also learned what it means to have the Lord as our shepherd, as David wrote so long ago, the Lord is my shepherd. We learned what it means to have the Lord as my shepherd, to live under the protection and under the provision of the good shepherd who is Jesus. Doing that leads us to an elevated life. It leads us to the life that Jesus described in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. It's a life of peace, a life of rest, a life where you can have joy regardless of your situation, regardless of whether things in life are going good or whether things in life are going bad. The circumstances don't matter because you live this life under the protection and the provision of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Today we're going to spend our time in verse 2. <laughs> we're not going to go, go past verse 2. We're just going to camp right here. So if you have your Bibles this morning, would you open them up to Psalm chapter 23? We'll move around a little bit in the Bible today. We'll find some supporting scriptures. But we're going to spend our time right here in Psalm 23. And we're going to camp on verse 2. 
And if you have your Bible open, let's, let's read it. If you don't, just follow along on the screen up here. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. What does it all mean? What was David writing about? If you remember from last week, sheep are very feeble, very fearful creatures. I heard somebody say last week that, that something that they had repeated, somebody had told them that sheep are born wanting to die. They're hard to keep alive. These critters are not easy to keep. They're feeble, fearful creatures. And because of this feeble and fearful nature that sheep have, they cannot lie down and rest until four basic fears in their life are allayed, are put to rest, are put out of their mind. There are four basic fears that will keep the sheep from lying down and resting. And today we're going to find out what these four fears are. And I think we'll find parallels between these four fears and the realities of, of our lives. And I want to get right to work in this because there's a lot of work to do in just those two lines from verse 2. The first fear I want to talk about today, that these fearful, feeble sheep need to have put to rest before they can rest, is the fear of an attack by one of their enemies, a, a, a predator, right? Remember, again, from last week, sheep have no natural defense against predators, well, that's not entirely true. Their only defense against predators is to turn and run. Sheep will run at the slightest little thing. They are timid, fearful, freaky-deaky little things. And they will run at the drop of a hat, literally. Something changes in their environment, they're fully aware. They're on guard and they're ready to get out of dodge. They are so worried about lions about wolves, about bears, about coyotes, about <laughs> domestic dog, anything that might do them harm. And they cannot lie down and rest if they have that fear in their mind. And the only way that they get relief from that fear, the only way that that fear is put aside for them, is really by the presence of their shepherd. The sheep, when they're left on their own, will stay up, stay alert, and, and really have a hard time trying to lay down and rest. But when the shepherd enters the field, when they can make visual contact, or even when they sense his presence among them, the sheep can relax. They can relax their fear of attack from a predator because the sheep over time have learned that the good shepherd is their protector. He is there to defend them, as David wrote, against the attacks from lions and bears. David said he had taken out lions and bears in the defense of his sheep. And so these sheep learn that the good shepherd is their protector. And when his presence is with them, they can chill out and not worry so much about the predators in their life. He calms their fear. They trust him because they have a track record with him. They've seen him do this work 
on their behalf. And so when the protector is there, when the good shepherd is there, that fear relaxes away. How much are we like the sheep? How much are we like the sheep? I, I look at this. The, the sheep are afraid of attack from their enemies. They're afraid of attack from the predators. You and I live this life, and we like to pretend like we don't have enemies. We like to think that we don't have enemies. But the reality is, we have enemies in this life. We have enemies that exist in the natural world, the physical world that we can see, that we can identify and that we know when they're coming against us, we can see them coming against us or sense them coming against us. Some of our enemies might be other people, unfortunately. That's a reality that we live with. Some of our enemies are, are microorganisms, germs, viruses, bacteria. They like to make us sick. There, there's enemies in this life, and, and those enemies, they're out to get us. They'll attack us. There's also supernatural enemies. Enemies that are not in the physical realm that we can see. Sometimes we can still sense those. I'm talking about the demonic enemies. I'm talking about Satan himself. The, the Bible says he's very much like a predator. It likens him to a lion. In fact, it says he is a lion who is stalking about looking for someone to devour. That's you. That's me. He would like to prey on us. He comes against us and attacks us. And you know you have those moments where the hair on the back of your neck stands up, right? You're looking around. You can't figure out why you're on guard, why you're on high alert. But you know that there's something, something weird, something wicked this way comes. You know that there's an enemy stalking about. And when you're like that, what happens? You can't rest, can you? Y'all ever watch a spooky movie late at night? And then have a hard time trying to sleep. Because you know something weird just happened. You saw it. It wasn't good. It wasn't comfortable. It was scary. And, and that fear slips in. And it keeps you from being able to rest. When we live in this fear, we get, we get nervous. We get kind of twitchy. Kind of tweaky. Looking over your shoulder at every little bump in the night. Every little sound. Every little thing. It's, it's a time where you cannot rest. You become restless when you live in this fear. And when that happens in our lives, it evokes what we call the fight or flight response. You guys familiar with the fight or flight response, right? You remember that? Fight or flight. We're not like the sheep. The sheep have only the flight response. We get another option, right? We can put up our dukes, we can stand and fight, or we can turn tail and run like the sheep. But fight or flight, either one when you live in this fear mode, can be destructive in your life. It can be destructive in your relationship with God. It can be destructive in your relationship with other people. Either one, fight or flight, when you live locked down in fear like sheep, it can mess you up. Let me, let me explain that a little bit. Let's say you live in flight mode. You're ready to run at a moment's notice. Some of you know people like this. Some of you are these people. Some of you have been this in the past, and some of you might be this right now. Whatever happens in your life that scares you, whatever difficulties and challenges you encounter, your first response is to pack up and run. Or maybe not even pack up, maybe just run, right? Know, somebody laugh. Y'all know some folks like this. Or you are the folks that are like this. I don't know. But we have this fight or flight, and when you live 
fleeing like this, when you live a life always on the run, always running from your fears, always running from things that go bump in the night or go bump in your life, you never persevere. You never learn to persevere through the difficulties and the challenges and the trials. You never learn to let God fight your battles. You never learn to trust the good shepherd. You never learn to be an overcomer as he does those things in and through you. You never learn to put on the full armor of God and to wield the sword of truth, the weapon that he's given you for those fights. When you're always running, you rob yourself of those opportunities. You sell yourself short. In fact, you leave opportunities of other kinds behind. You leave all kinds of opportunities behind when you're always running. You leave behind opportunities to be blessed. More importantly, you leave behind opportunities to bless others. When you're always on the run, never persevering, never letting God fight those battles, never developing that track record of trust in God as your protector, you miss out on blessings He has for you, and you miss out on blessing other people or letting Him bless them through you because you're always on the run, always moving, never standing, never fighting, never persevering. You're always fearful. You live a life that becomes marked by timidity and fear. Always fleeing. What about when you're always in fight mode? That was always in flight mode. What about those who are always in fight mode? This is, this is like living your entire life like a middle school bully. Right? Oh, everybody understands the middle school bully reference, right? Because you either were the bully or you were bullied. I'm a little brother. I got a brother three years older than me. He was the bully, right? Because he was bigger and stronger and faster most of our lives. And then I caught up. And then I was the bully because it was fun. But that didn't work out too good all the time. And I don't know why I even mentioned that. But that happens, right? We've either been the bully or we've been bullied or both. Probably most of us, to some degree, have had the experience of being both. But when you are always in fight mode, you live an edgy kind of life, an angry kind of life. You are always suspicious of everyone because you're expecting an attack from anywhere, at any time, from anyone, friend or foe. You hold your friends at arm's length and your enemies even farther out. Always on edge, always ready to strike out, to be the first one to throw the punch. Always ready to defend or attack when you live life in fight mode. Either way, living in fight or living in flight, you are living a life that is out of control. You're living a life marked by fear. You're living a life without peace, without joy. That's not the life that Jesus described when he said the, the full life. That's, that's, this is not that life. This life marked by timidity and fear and a lack of joy and a lack of peace. In fact, if we check out 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, 2 Timothy 1, 7, we have a description 
of the solution to this problem. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God gives us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. I didn't hear any of those descriptions in the life I just described marked by fear, in the life where you live in constant flight or constant fight mode. There's, there's no room in all of that for, for love. There's no, there's no element of self-control. And the only power that you might feel is a false sense of power when you think that you're attacking something or someone before they can attack you. It's, it's a life not worth living, really. It's a dull, dead kind of life. But that's not the life Jesus described. And the solution to living that life is found right there in that passage that we just read. Did you see what it is? It's the Spirit. The solution to this problem, the key to breaking out of that cycle of living in a fearful way is having the Spirit of God in you. See, the only way you get the Spirit of God in you is when you accept the Good Shepherd's leadership and ownership in your life. When you submit yourself as a sheep to the leadership and ownership of the Good Shepherd, Jesus himself says he will send the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of you, to take up residence, to dwell literally in your heart, your spiritual heart, and to be your guide and counselor, to lead you from the inside out. He comes to live in you, but he doesn't just live in you. Check it out. He lives through you. He lives in you, but he lives in you so that he can live out through you the life that he has come to give you. A full life, a blessed life. Not a life marked by fear. Not a life bogged down in timidity. Not a life stuck in fight or flight. But a life of joy. A life of peace. Again, regardless of the circumstances, a life in which you have rest. Rest in the good shepherd, Jesus, because he is your provider, because he is your protector, because he is your power, because he is your peace, he is your love, he is your self-control, Jesus the Holy Spirit in you. This is how you find rest. This is where you find refuge and salvation. And in those things, in, 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 in Him, we have rest. So when the sheep have the presence of the Good Shepherd, and they're not worried about attack from their predatory enemies, they can find rest. And when we have the presence of the Good Shepherd living in and living out through us. We have solved one part of the problem of giving ourselves rest. Fear number two, social friction. Sheep have a fear of social friction. I was kind of shocked when I learned this about sheep. 
But then as I read further and learned more about them, it kind of started to make sense. Sheep, kind of like people, are always jockeying for a position socially. You've heard about uh, uh, the pecking order. Y'all ever heard the term pecking order? It's literally a term used to describe chickens. Chickens kind of battle it out and fight each other to see who's going to feed first. It's a pecking order, right? And the dominant chicken gets in there, scratches and pecks and finds the bugs and the seeds and whatever and feeds first. Well, sheep don't have a pecking order. Sheep have what they call in, in sheep herding circles the butting order, B-U-T-T-I-N-G. The butting order, literally referring to them butting heads and butting each other. And the way the butting order works in a flock of sheep is that these sheep will, will be out in the field grazing or in a bedding area sleeping or near a water hole getting a drink, and, and they'll literally go after each other. And usually what happens is a dominant old ewe, a dominant old female sheep, will be the, the big boss, the alpha female. And she will get to the top of the social order by butting her way there. So when they're out in the field grazing and she knows where the prime grass is, if there's another sheep over there, she will go up and literally butt them. She will butt them in the ribs, in the flanks, in the butt. She will butt them in the head. She will butt them wherever she's got to do to drive them off the prime grass. She will butt them out of the best bedding areas. And she will butt them out of the watering hole when she wants to go and get a drink. And the sheep all learn who the dominant you is, right? And she's out there butting them around. And, and what happens is this creates unrest within the flock. Because if you're out there grazing and you see mean old number one, top of the list coming around, you're on edge. You're like turning and backing to try to get away because she might come and try to butt you off of the grass that you're eating or the bedding area where you're sleeping. And so the sheep are always on edge whenever this butting order is being established and carried out. Guess what? That old dominant you is also on edge because there is no worse place for rest and peace than at the top, at the pinnacle. Because there's always somebody ready to knock you off your perch. There's always somebody wanting to challenge you, wanting to compete with you, wanting to surpass you. And so that old you is always on edge too. She's got to constantly defend her position. She's got to constantly remind those younger, those weaker, those other sheep that she's the one. And she's always feeling the stress of that. And so it really becomes this vicious cycle. She's always got to remind them. They've always got to be afraid of her. And, and then there's always somebody who wants to challenge her. And so the sheep are never at rest until the shepherd, again, walks into the field. And when the shepherd comes into the presence, a really cool thing happens. The first thing is the dominant you no longer has to defend her place at the top. Why? Because when the shepherd is there, she's not at the top. She's not at the pinnacle. She's no longer the head of the herd. The dominant you has learned through the ownership, the leadership, through the discipline of the shepherd. Because the shepherd has to discipline his sheep. He loves his sheep too much to not discipline them. And the shepherd sometimes has to discipline that dominant you to keep her from hurting, from damaging, from injuring the rest of the flock. 
And the shepherd will, will literally discipline, like think corporal punishment, right? That you, to remind her, she's not the top of the heap. He is. And it's good for her to know that, and it's good for the rest of the sheep to know that. So when the shepherd comes in, she chills out. She chills way out because she willingly submits herself to the good shepherd. And in his presence, she finds rest. She finds peace. She can chill. And when she chills, the whole rest of the flock calms down too. Because they're not worried about her anymore. The good shepherd is there. And he has their best interest in his mind and in his heart. What an awesome word picture for how people play the social game. right? How we operate in our culture, in our society. We're always, it seems like, jockeying for position. We're always trying to be the top. We're in the budding order. We always want to be number one. And I mentioned the middle school bully earlier. Doesn't it start somewhere around middle school, maybe even late elementary school, trying to establish who's the cool kids, who's the inner circle? My daughter in sixth grade calls them the populars. It's just a generic term for, for that crowd, right? The inner circle, the populars. And everybody wants to be one of the populars. Everybody wants to play sports or be the cheerleader or be the, the really cute guy or the really pretty girl. Everybody wants to be at the top of the heap. We want to establish our social standing, our, our position, our class. We all want to be at the top. And so we're always jockeying for position. Carries on through high school. I don't know about y'all, during college I couldn't have cared less. It was, that was like the freest time of my life from a social standing. I didn't care I didn't care, I didn't care, I didn't care. But then I started caring again when I started going to work. I entered the workforce as one of the low men on the totem pole. Can anybody relate? Amen, right? And I wanted to climb that ladder. I wanted to get past the knuckleheads that were in front of me. I wanted to get the corner office or the bigger cubicle. And I wanted to show up wearing a nicer tie, driving a nicer car. And as Trina and I got married and started having kids, and we were, we were now we're competing within the church. Look out. Uh-oh. You talk about a flock that likes to compete. Oh, we're getting real in here now. You go to church, and you want to pull up in a nicer car than the, than the other guy, right? And when you have people over to your house for small group, you want them to come into your house and see that it's a nice house. It's a big house, and your TV is two inches bigger than theirs. That's right. And I got two more of them than you do, too, and surround sound to boot. Ha, ha. Y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You like to wear the name brand clothes. You like to have a job with a little more authority, a little more power than the next guy. Right? We're all jockeying for position. We're playing the game we call keeping up with the Joneses. But you know what? Somewhere along the way, I figured out and I really don't think it was me that figured it out. I think it was the Lord living out through me from inside of me. That just like the sheep, once his presence was real in my life, once I realized who was really at the pinnacle, that those other people were not better than me. In fact, a lot of them were in a lot worse shape financially than me because they were buying things they couldn't afford to impress people they didn't even like. And using credit to do it. 
and they're going to be paying for it for a long time. Once I realized that my identity didn't come in my job title or the kind of car I drove or the brand of clothes that I wear, once I realized it didn't have anything to do with even how well-behaved my kids are in comparison to their kids, or the size of my wife's ring versus their wife's ring, right? You got, these are all real things that I've dealt with. I don't know if y'all did or not. Some of you are shaking your heads. Didn't matter. My identity is not in those things. My value is not in those things. My worth is not in those things. My rest, my peace is not in those things. My identity is in Christ Jesus, the good shepherd, who is the owner of me. That'll preach now. He's the owner of me. And he is my identity. I am his. And that's all that matters. And when I had that, even just a little bit of an understanding of that, I found rest. I found peace. Social friction was the second fear. Fear of predators and attack was the first fear. The third fear is the fear of torment by parasites and pests. Sheep have a fear of torment from parasites and pests. And namely what I'm talking about here are insects. If you've ever been around any kind of animals in the summertime, animals attract insects. Because what do animals do outdoors that we do indoors? Don't shout it out. We all know. It's what the bear does in the woods, right? <laughs> Trina's grandparents have a dairy. They have a big ranch in eastern Colorado. And in the middle of that ranch was the dairy that they grew up operating. They sold off years ago, but the dairy is still there. It still operates. And when we go up there in the summertime, there's a special smell that comes from wherever a lot of animals congregate, right? And they attract insects. The flies up there, when the wind blows from the dairy towards the house, it is unbelievable. It's like a curtain of black just rolling towards you. And it's just flies. And those flies, if you go up to the dairy, they're wearing those cattle out. They're in their nose, in their ear. They're all over their backsides. That's why cattle are always swishing their tails, you know, getting those flies away. They're all over them. Sheep are the same way. Sheep, when they're out in the field, come under attack from these little pesky parasites, mosquitoes and flies and fleas and ticks. And all of these things just, just irritate and aggravate and just, they got to make them itch and twitch and just, it makes me kind of freaky just thinking about all those little insects crawling all over me. We get the term bugged from that exact thing, right? When you and I have those little minor irritants, those little minor agitations in our life, we say we're bugged. That bugs me. He bugs me. She bugs me. That situation bugs me. And it literally comes from watching animals deal with insects, all twitchy and flinchy and just oh, never can rest and moving all the time, trying to outrun. Y'all like my pop dancing, my pop 
parking lot. I'm not very good at that, am I? But that's what I feel like when I feel all those insects crawling all over me and messing with me. And that's what those animals look like too. They're always flicking their ears and swishing their tails and just trying to, to get the stuff off of them. And they're always moving. They'll not lie down and rest because when they lie down and rest, it's like a whole horde, a whole cloud of those insects descends on them. So they're always up and moving and trying to outrun that pestilence, always trying to get away from that aggravation of those bugs. And the good shepherd, to give them relief, has to do a lot of work. The good shepherd has to be present all the time, watching for signs of this stuff, watching for the irritation and the always up and moving. And then he has to do more work. He has to, to go to work applying th- uh, 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 solutions, preventions to his flock to keep these aggravations, these bugs at bay. He has to invest time and energy and a lot of money to protect his flock which just goes to show the love that the shepherd has for his sheep, that he's willing to invest his time, that he's willing to be present all the time, to be watching for them, caring for them, inspecting them, to be ready to read every little behavior, that he's willing to invest the energy to do things like dip the sheep in flea and tick preventative, to apply all kinds of repellents and insecticides to protect the sheep, to spend the money on those chemicals to protect the sheep. It's a big investment that the shepherd has to make. And we have all of these petty annoyances and irritants and aggravations and bugs in our lives. And sometimes they're literally bugs. But usually what I'm talking about are people and and situations that annoy us, that irritate us, that, that bug us. And when we're bugged, from where do we get our protection? From from whom can we expect relief? Who is watching out for us? It's the good shepherd. I know that shocked you, right? You didn't see the pattern building yet, did you? It's the good shepherd who is watching out for us. It is the good shepherd who is our protector. It is the good shepherd who brings us the Holy Spirit and and is the Holy Spirit shepherding us from within, who brings us relief, who is our refuge. Check out Psalm chapter 7, verse 1. Psalm chapter 7, verse 1. Again, it's a psalm of David. And David is on the run from crazy King Saul when he writes this. Here's what he says. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Sounds like a prayer that a sheep would pray while he's up and moving all the time trying to escape the flies and the bugs and the insects and the pestilence that are pursuing. Sounds like a prayer that I would pray in the midst of all of these petty, seemingly insignificant, and yet totally irritating, annoying, little bugging 
things. That word refuge, by the way, that word refuge is used more than 40 times in just the Psalms to describe God. He is my refuge, my safe place, my salvation, my protection. He is my ointment when I am irritated. He is my place of defense when I am bugged. He is the insecticide, the pesticide. He is, he is my, my off, my repellent against those annoyances, those pests, those bugs that come against me. He is my refuge. I can rest in him. The fourth fear we're going to talk about today, the fourth fear that the sheep deal with, is the fear of hunger. Sheep have to be free from the fear of hunger in order for them to lie down and rest. The fear of hunger. Now this is implied in verse 2 when David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. David would have written this. In fact, David did his shepherding in the land of Palestine. Has anybody ever been to Palestine? No? Has anybody ever seen Palestine on TV? Does it look like a green belt of agriculture? Not really. Palestine is a rugged, arid, desert place. Water is scarce, and therefore green pastures are scarce. They would be very, very rare. And they would be there as a result of a great deal of back-breaking, sweat-inducing, muscle-aching, where-is-the-absorbing-junior kind of work. Okay, maybe that one didn't work. What's the other one? Ben Gay. Anybody? Come on. It's painful, hard toil to produce green pastures in that place. Here's what a shepherd has to do in order to produce a green pasture for his sheep in Palestine. The shepherd has to go into a field, an open space. And the first thing he has to do is to remove the rocky debris from the soil. It's a very rocky area. You've got to take all of the rocks out of the field. Then you've got to come back and you've got to clear all of the thorny brush and undergrowth. Right? Because for some reason, that kind of stuff thrives in desert environments, right? Prickly, thorny, sticky, hurdy kind of stuff. And so he's got to come and clear all of that mess out. Then the shepherd has to get out his plow, and he's got to break up that hard-baked, rock-hard soil. In agricultural circles, they call it hard pan. And I don't know why they call it hard pan, except that it's probably as hard as the cast iron pans that the old homesteaders used to use, right? Those old black, heavy-duty cast iron pans. But that shepherd's got to get in there and break up that soil with a plow, that hard pan soil. Then he's got to sow the seeds. And then he's got to arrange for irrigation. 
because it's too dry to dry land farm successfully. You've got to find a way to irrigate that crop, either from a, a river or a stream or a spring or a well or a cistern. You've got to, and by the way, they didn't have pumps back in the day. We're talking about irrigation by hand, unless it was the diversion of a river or a stream. Bucket after bucket after bucket, day after day, week after week, month after month, to produce a small patch of green pasture for his sheep. Again, the willingness of the shepherd to do this kind of work speaks volumes about his love for the sheep. If he didn't love the sheep, he wouldn't do the work. He wouldn't put up with the pain. But he needs to do this if he loves his sheep because sheep raised on poor pasturage never stop moving because they never get enough good forage to eat. They're always on their feet, always looking for more, for the next morsel, the next mouthful, the next bite of sustenance. And if you didn't know this about sheep, sheep are like cows, and I think a lot of people probably know a little bit more about cows around here than they do sheep. You ever seen cows laying down chewing their cud? I won't get into what all that is. It's kind of gross. If you know what cut, well, okay, maybe I will. I see some blank stares. Prepare your gross meter, okay? So sheep, cattle, animals like this, they eat, they swallow into one stomach, then they lay down and rest when they're full, and they regurgitate what they swallowed and chew on it some more so they can really get the nutrition out of it. Then they swallow it again into another stomach and so on and so forth, okay? Sheep need to lie down and rest and digest. They need to lie down to get the most out of their meal. But a sheep on poor pasturage cannot lie down and rest because he's always got to stay up and moving, always searching, always looking for the next mouthful, always needing, always wanting more. Uh-oh. Beat you to it, Leticia. Uh-oh. Did that sound like somebody you know? Always looking for more? Always on your feet? Always working? Always wanting? Never satisfied? Never at peace? It describes my life before Christ to a it didn't matter what I set my mind to, whether it was getting better grades or a prettier girlfriend or making more tackles on the football field or getting my next shirt that bragged about how much I could bench press. It didn't matter if it was getting a better job to make more money, to drive a better car. It didn't matter if it was the pursuit of this, that, or the other. Whatever it was. Whatever it is for you. Whatever you're in constant pursuit of more. More money. More stuff. More sex. More thrills. More power. More authority. More recognition. More, 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 more. Never satisfied. Always moving. Always Seeking more. 
that the good shepherd leads me beside green pastures. The good shepherd has done the work to prepare for me the sustenance that I need to be satisfied and to find rest and peace in this life. And when I met the good shepherd and finally understood that life on his side of the fence wasn't confinement, wasn't rules and regulations, but was real freedom, freedom from all of these fears, freedom from from all of this wandering and seeking and wanting. When I jumped over that fence, when I submitted myself to his leadership, his ownership, I let the Holy Spirit do work in me. I let the Holy Spirit clear out the rocky debris of my past. I let the Holy Spirit clear out the thorns and the briars and the stickers of my present. I let the Holy Spirit plow the hard pan unbelief of my heart. I let the Holy Spirit sow seeds of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I let the Holy Spirit irrigate those seeds with His love, His never-ending, no-excuses, can't-ever-lose-it love. And green pastures sprung up inside of me. Real satisfaction took hold of me. And ladies and gentlemen, I have never been the same for that experience. I have always been better. Each and every day when I submit myself to the Good Shepherd, each and every moment, because sometimes it's a moment-by-moment faith-filled decision to yield to the Spirit and to deny my flesh, my, my wild side that wants to jump back over the fence and out of the pasture. Every day of my life, every moment of my life that I've lived by the Spirit, that I've let the Holy Spirit inside of me live out through me has been an awesome day, a blessed day, a peaceful day, a day in which I find rest. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of whether things are going well or whether things look like they're going poorly, I find peace and rest in Him. And you too can live this blessed, elevated, full life. You can have the peace of the Spirit of God in you and let Him live out through you. But you first have to make that faith-filled commitment. I almost said decision, but it really is a commitment to follow Him, to yield to the good shepherd. Will you do that? Will you live the life that he came and prepared for you? Only you 
to make that commitment. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the good shepherd, Jesus. Thank you for the love, the grace, the mercy. Thank you for the peace that he imparts to those of us who can rightfully call ourselves his sheep. To those who have yielded our own social agenda. Those who have gladly come under his ownership, his leadership. Who have let him be our protector, our provider. Thank you. Father, for those here who don't know that protection, don't know that provision, who may not have the peace of the Spirit inside of them, whether they are sheep in your sheep pen, who have just yielded to the flesh instead of to the Spirit, Father, I pray that you would just give them conviction this morning. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's just never yielded to the ownership of the Good Shepherd, who's never submitted their life, jumped the fence into the sheep pen, who's never been let in through the sheep gate, because Jesus says he's the gate. Father, I pray this morning that same kind of conviction would sweep over them, would take over their hearts, and that they, Father, would submit to you, submit that they are a sinner who needs a Savior, they're a wandering sheep in need of a good shepherd, and they know that Jesus is that good shepherd. They believe it with all their heart. And that they would ask you to come and live inside and empower this peaceful life. If that's you this morning and you've made that faith commitment, that decision, would you raise your hand just so I know and I can follow up with you? Whether it's a first-time faith commitment or just a recommit, I say just. It's not just. It's the best recommitment decision you'll ever make. Praise God. Lord, we love you. We're glad to call you our shepherd. We're glad to be your sheep. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to speak to us through this teaching series, through this psalm, that we would continue, Father, to grow in our faith in you as we know you more. And then we will go, Lord, and share your love. Share the message of the good shepherd with our community. Amen.